0: Tonight, we'll go back in time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of Gridiron Greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History and its memorabilia on the Sports History Network. And we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be the host for your show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, Is a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, not football, memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular, Red Grange and Seattle Seahawk items, in particular, Steve Lord. He has, from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to our all-new
1: podcast. I love it. Bob, how many shows have we done? How many years have I heard you do that intro? This is the first time I've seen you do it. And I was just sitting here just overjoyed, just laughing, just loving it, just watching you look down at your script and football.
0: I I love it. I, I am in the modern 21st century now. I I I have we have we have gone and crossed the border. We are nine years in to the most advanced show we are ever doing, and it's our initial show on the sports history network and i'd like to thank sports history network for getting us on and being one of the podcasts here uh it's a great network so many different shows to listen to great uh podcasts hosts great guests on all levels of sports and all the different areas of sports not just football and i highly recommend that uh, if you can listen to any of their podcasts uh, you won't uh, you won't be uh, disappointed in what you hear, but we haven't been on for a few months since we're doing this changeover, and this is our initial show, so we'll probably have a few uh, bumps in the road today. But we're going to work them over and uh, and um, make sure they work. Uh, it's enjoyable actually seeing our two different uh, setups. This is just one part of the. Uh, Man cave up here in Southport. Um, and I know I've I've heard about this stuff. I have seen a few things they've posted over the years. Uh, but it's it's cool to see them in your domain there and, and you and you can and you can call upon them and what you're looking at and so on and so forth.
1: I just moved offices, so I still quite haven't quite unpacked yet. Uh so I still have, you know, like uncut sheets and stuff on the floor. I, I doubt I'll show you around because I'm a little embarrassed for house guests, but I haven't, uh, I've been down here for about two months. I haven't had a chance to hang stuff up. So, um, I kind of put my, my favorite stuff behind me and call it a day.
0: Believe it. Hey, it's going on two years. Believe it or not, we're almost here and I'm still not unpacked with everything. <clears throat> I'm still going through a lot of things. And, uh, my, my, my problem, which is not really a problem is I still need another bookcase and another display, um, for lack of a better term a display area that i'm trying to think about what i'm actually going to do uh, to set up stuff and show stuff and also streamlining a lot of the stuff i own uh and what i want to highlight so on and so forth so it's uh it's a work your background,
1: your background makes you look very intelligent books you're uh, a learned man Mr. Swain. A, uh,
0: that's my my one and only bookcase right now believe it or not which huh? is with uh with uh books and uh different areas of and small pieces of memorabilia that I have on display. Uh, But again, getting back, we've we've been off the air for several months. We're back on. Uh, We're gonna be hopefully doing this weekly with the guests and we're doing it a little differently with uh, actually having video this time. And uh, it should be uh, a fun experience again back into the swing of things. I wanna uh, start off by saying initially we are on press with Gridiron Greats issue number 82. Uh, hopefully, we'll be in the mail. Um, I don't think it's going to be the end of this week, but probably the beginning of next week, our copies will be mailed out. And again, if you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? So, you waiting for? Dot com. so, So, Joe, I'm going to hand off to you. Give me a little background on what I'm seeing, if anything, you want to talk about. And,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, I uh was as I've mentioned quite a few times on a show. I'm a avid uncut sheet collector. So right there is one of my favorites, 1957 Tops Uncut Sheet, a partial sheet. I did an article on it in Gridiron Grades probably what five, six years ago, on uh how the uh how you know on on the on the set basically. And um, hopefully made Zeke Bradkowski a household name with the uh, the 57 set but uh, you know just delved into the layout of the sheet and how it was issued so uh, the long time myth was that it was issued in two sets and just how it was laid out to kind of disproves it. right there my some of my wax pack collection some of my favorites in there i have a couple more that i haven't put in there yet including this 52 tops uh, or 52 bowman large pack it's gai it's a little tough on the back but it was probably the best example I had. Uh, it's the one, starts with one series in GAI, which is when Mike Baker was there. So it's a little more reputable. One of these days I'll send it in and get it crossed over. But until then, it kind of sits here. It'll, it'll join that later on. I bought a second case with the intent of putting them in chronological order. So, just some of my favorite uncut sheets. You can see right there is a 65 Tops Tallboy uncut or a wax pack bob that's uh in honor of you
0: a lot of memories with that wax pack as you know and some of our audience knows that was one of the first wax packs i ever bought along with the 65 philly uh, which you graciously picked up one for me many many years ago at the national and uh uh, dinner that that year and and i knew (laughs) in a way it was a repack but uh, i know it's not, not uncommon for buying raw um wax packs that they are uh resealed and they're repacked, so on and yeah. so Yeah, that was a GAI
1: because I remember opening it, uh, you know, on on, on you know, releasing it from its plastic tomb for you and you open it. I mean, and you know how those packs are collated. So I mean it's just there there's one that slipped by the goalie, the GAI goalies. So uh but uh this is a Jim Thorpe, uh, it's, a, it's an artist drawing of him from a game in 1911, 1911 or 1912, and that's a, uh, the lineup of the game. And then one of my favorite things right here is my 1948 leaf. Uh, it's a partial uncut sheet, it's missing two cards, uh, it's cut in half. So I have, it, I have it kind of laid together in the frame so that it appears as one sheet, even though it's two, two partial sheets. From two different sheets because there was one card that overlapped you know yeah. one card in each half that was the same so that told me they're from two different sheets uncut so i cut that card out of one of them so that they fit together like a jigsaw puzzle so i'm, I'm
0: just curious as you're as you're setting up and you get finished uh, you know with your office and everything are you got how many sheets are you going to actually frame and try to hang up i mean you're going to be top to bottom with sheets or what, what do you think
1: yeah, I usually stack them two to three high. I have uh, all four 1950 Bowman uh, uncut sheets, A-, A through D series. Those are much smaller, so I'm able to stack them, you know, you know, you know, stack them on top of each other uh, together. But uh, generally, two high for the normal 132 card sheets, and uh, yeah, two too high. One kind of you, you know, and then around the horn. Uh, at my last office, I had 12 hung plus. Uh, autographed, you know, uh sports illustrated cover of Marcus Mariota, the Oregon Duck Heisman winner. Uh, some concert tickets. Yeah, some uh, you know, just some various, you know, football collectibles. You walk into my office, you immediately know I'm a I'm a person who collects football memorabilia. There's no doubt about it.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah and it's vintage and it's pure.
1: That's what yeah. I have to say the yeah. least. Few shots of you sitting here. 1976 wax pack I just uh bought. And this is a uh type one photo of Red Grange that I like. Came with uh came with this one, which is uh an image from the shot wells, you know, uh where he's running behind that brick, you know, with the brick wall in the back. So type one photo of him running. And then uh, I finally picked up a uh I finally picked up a, I'm working on my monster I've mentioned, which is every ticket stub and a program from every college game Red Grange played in. And uh, that was from October 20th, 1923, uh, Illinois beat Iowa nine to six. Red Grange scored the sole touchdown of the game. And uh, it's getting, it's getting down and down to the nitty gritty. There's, uh, there's about 12, you it's know programs and tickets.
0: It's just amazing to me that, and we've talked about this numerous times over the years, the rarity of older tickets and programs, and you know some of it is appreciated in the hobby, and some of it is just totally ignored. And I, I still, you know, again, I know I'm a dinosaur in the hobby, and I know I'm not. You know, I'm not big on grading and not not big on that kind of stuff, but I'm just kind of shocked how especially publications, pre-war publications, are just ignored and they're overlooked in the hobby to a large degree. And even yeah. now, looking at a lot of nineteen forties, fifties, and sixties publications, they continue to be ignored, so on and so forth. It just it just truly amazes me.
1: Uh, I, I know this is kind of interesting, but an article that Carl Amadella wrote in Gridiron, you know, 10, 12 years ago, where he talked about how rare some of these were. First of all, how many people attended this game in 1923? How many people bothered to save a program after the game? How many of them survived fires, floods, insects in, uh, you know, in attics, uh, how many? How many survived just getting thrown out as people passed away, and uh, you know their their kids came in and went, "What the hell is this? Who, can, who would care about a program?" And then the big thing that I always forgot about was uh, paper drives from the war. You know, this so is 1923. I mean, you know, what 18 years later we'd be at war. You know, with with uh, you know Japan and Germany, and paper drives were huge. And as he described it, you know, uh, the voracious vacuum of of war paper drives, you know, people, you know, rummaging through trying to look for any and all paper. So, I mean, if 30,000, 40,000 people attending the game, I mean, who knows how many, because this is, oh my gosh, this is Saturday, October 20th, 1923. Yeah. We are October. 16th. In four days, this program will be 100 years old, Bob. Yep. I never even thought about that. Isn't that fascinating? I just put two and two together, that 19, 1923, 100 year old program. Think about that. You know, it's, gave, it's, gave back
0: the paper drives. So one thing that really amazes me is especially 1940, roughly to 1944, any actual publications that were printed at that time, I don't know how they survived, because those, in many cases, were recycled, for lack of a ba- better way of explaining it, into the paper drive. And therefore, they were gone, gone completely, type of thing.
1: Totally. So it's
0: uh, it, it was really amazing to see what actually survives or doesn't survive. And that's why I'm always, I, I chuckle when people say, I'm looking for a pristine copy of a 1940 <laughs> annual. I said, I don't know how many are out there. I'm sure they're out there. Uh, but I don't know what to tell you because I don't know, you know, where they are so on and so forth type of thing. So it's, it's interesting yeah. interesting to see people's perceptions and then trying to educate them on it. It, it becomes challenging to say the least.
1: Agree more. I love it. There was an auction about what, about a year, year and a half ago, where somebody inherited their great uncle's like, you know, coffee table. And what they didn't know is there were drawers in the coffee table. They nobody knew. And so they opened the drawers up and inside it were like two pristine programs yeah. from 1920, 1930. I forget what games they were, but they're like, you won't find a more pristine. I mean, these came home from the game and they were probably put in this drawer. Yeah. So yeah, at some point, as we've talked about, you know, you, you know, you're you're almost agnostic to condition, just owning a piece of this. I mean. I'm getting down to where I don't have that many programs and ticket stubs I need. I'm good with a torn ticket stub. I'm good with anything. I mean, if I came across the three or four that I'm missing from 1923 programs and it was just the front page, I'd probably buy that and call it a day. Yeah. I, believe you know, it. I believe Some it. of these are getting pretty rare.
0: Yeah. They, I was just going to say the stuff you're looking for is exceptionally rare. And you know, how many times has, have you actually seen it come up yeah. and you know, you, and you get involved in a bidding war, you know, how much do you really want to pay for something? So on and so forth. It's all, it's all in the perspective of how we collect yeah. what we're looking at. Uh, again, you're a pure collector. So what you are collecting is what, what, you know, you want that ticket stub, you want the actual program, you want the full piece. Uh, but in some cases, as we both know, we've had to settle for second, third best, uh, just to say that we had a type of thing. And uh, that that's a, you know that's something to understand in our hobby uh we're more interested in the history behind the the item rather than the uh the PSA 11 or 12 grade it's going to come out as you know if we we choose to get it graded what you know i got a few things that are just popping into my mind but the one thing i was amazed at at this national was how many sports illustrators are now graded and they're in slabs um and what i don't understand is and I was explained to me you buy one copy you can read, and you buy one copy where you have it graded and you keep it in the slab. So I said, Well, then you got two copies of the item. What is the point of having those two, two, you know, two items? Then? Why aren't you satisfied with just the one item that you can read? But again, it's becoming more of a show thing that you know you want the graded item, so on and so forth. It just, Defies logic to me, you know, and again, it goes back to my dinosaur image, you know, why would you and put in a slab, a magazine that, that you're never going to read again? I mean, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but then yeah. you're supposed to have two copies of it, so on and so forth. Every, yeah. every one of these
1: programs that I get, I take them out and I read them. And I love reading the old advertisements where it's like, you know, a, you know an old Cadillac dealership or a suit maker. You know, hey, have coal delivered to your house. It is so fun to read some of the old adverts. You know,
0: yeah, it it just it just amazes me. I mean, but again, you want to read the information. It's historical. <clears throat> I love reading older programs. Uh, they're just they're just so fascinating to me. And they're so great to to read and view, and so, it's just just amazing. i am going to touch base again with the uncut sheets, and your uncut sheets. Uh, I consider you an expert on uncut sheets. And let's go right now, and since we've mentioned it several times, what are the sheets you're actually looking for? Because now we got a completely different audience watching oh and listening to us. So um, perchance, get it out there.
1: Well, the, the white whale would be a 1935 Chico, you know, uncut sheet. I mean, obviously, Uh, I I tried to piece together even how that was, uh, how it was built. Um, You know, there was a a gridiron podcast we did where I, I got, you know, Skybird sheets. I got, you know, all the other sheets that Chickle put together uh, and found how they were put together by, you know, by finding partial uncut sheets that had sold and just, it was random. It was pure random. I mean, uh, you know, you try to go by color because like the 1960 uh, eight to 1965, 1968 and sixty-nine top sheets were collated by color. So I mean that you know they were you know that so they could put more ink in one spot, not in another. Uh, everything else, you know, none of the other ones, uh, you know, some of them you'd see it by you know by number, uh, like in forty-eight leaf, it's by number, you know, one through forty-nine, uh, seven, you know, seven by seven, you know, sheet series, you know, series A, series B. Uh, I don't know how a 35 chicle sheet is put together. There's no miscuts like I was able to put together how this 48 leaf sheet was uh you know laid out because there's so many miscut cards you're able to see you know what the next card over was on a lot of miscuts. So even before this this came up on eBay, I had an idea of how it was laid out. Uh and then when I came across it that validated it still have no idea how a 35 chickle sheet is laid out. Uh, It would be fascinating. Um, You know, and it's because they talk about, you know, one of a series of, what was it? I mean, I I forget what the back of a chickle card says, you know, but, you know, one of a series of 130 or 100, I I forget what the number is, but you know, that, you know, they fell one third short of that is, you know, was it because, you know, sales were poor? I mean, who knows? Uh, 35-chickle sheet is obviously the white whale. A, uh, a 52 Bowman large sheet would be amazing. Uh, I've only seen one uncut sheet that, uh, that you know, and I, I didn't see it because it went for sale in like 2002. I saw an article written on it. Uh, I spoke to the gentleman who wrote the article, uh, and asked where you know where the sheet was and he said he sold it in a private transaction like two years after he wrote the article. Yeah. I've got the article only in black and white. I've laid out how that sheet is collated. Yeah. Uh, it would be great to get an uncut you know 52 large. I'll take a 52 small. I mean heck it, it's just it's a cool sheet. Right. Uh, and then uh, I think that's uh, th- th- that'd probably be the top two. Uh, second series of 48 Leaf would be cool because there's so many rare cards on there. Then you start getting into the, you, you know, the concrete Charlie, you know, you, you know, Charlie, you know, Charlie um, uh, you know, Charlie Connerly is on there. Uh, you, you, you start to get a real, a lot of really, really tough cards on the second series.
0: It's interesting. So, and I was collecting the 40, 48 Leaf set. I never honestly saw any second series that were better than VG condition. Yep. Yep. I had this discussion numerous times too. Is it it's amazing to me how many mint 48 leaf high numbers came out of nowhere? Yep. It took me literally 20 years to put that set together. And I just never saw, I saw low numbers, but I never saw anything in yeah. the 48.
1: Well, 40 think about it. The Charlie connerly the highest grade of that card is a PSA 7. And I think there's two of them, mean, you're lucky to find it in a six. Yep. Uh, and it's because, because the sheet is numbered. If you flip it over to the obverse, then it goes left to right. Okay. Uh, so if you're looking at it straight away, it's going right to left. So his sheet would be the upper left, his card, Charlie Connor would be upper left corner, which I prefer, I refer always refer to as the pole position because it's the one that gets guided into the rails, you know, have, we don't know how they cut these. We assume they use, you know, either a knife blade or, you know, you know they had roller cutters at the time. Especially in
0: 1948, you still were doing hand cutting yeah. paper.
1: And the way the striations look on the the 48 leaf cards, you can tell that they were probably cut using a, a knife cutter manually. So you've got people lining it up on a rail, cutting, cutting, cutting. Uh, so that card. You know, is the one that gets banged up against the rail. Yeah. You know, for that first initial cut. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's pretty rare. It'd be, it'd be pretty interesting. All
0: right. So, so you, those are the big, the big two and three for you.
1: Yep. 35,
0: so, 52 large, and forty-eight leaf second series. So yeah, that. yeah, But
1: most importantly, a thirty-five chip. Oh, that'd be. I'd, I'd have to, you know, sell some blood to start saving up for that.
0: So if you have it out there, contact us, and uh, we'll take it from there.
1: Look at this face. Don't you want to make me happy and find me an uncut sheet? <laughs> so, All right, Captain, right back at you. I see some newspaper articles. I see a lot of books that make you look very intelligent. And I see you've shared this with me before, but that, that uh, photo of a player in red, uh, in a red jersey over your right shoulder. Uh you've explained it to me before I forget the story. What do you what do you got? What's in your background?
0: All right. Well, um I have a couple pictures. You're talking about the Kansas City Chief guy, somebody three.
1: No, there, there's a red photo over your over your right shoulder.
0: Over my right shoulder. Is that a card
1: or is that a is that a photo? That. Yes, sir. All right. So
0: this is gotcha. uh, Nick Agloretti, number 73 of the Kansas City Chiefs. I am friends with his father, Carl, and I will go on record in saying they are both readers of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and he enjoys it. And uh, he he sent me several things, autographed, and um, he's a guy who is a six, number six man for the Chiefs. Uh, he fills in on the line, both offense and defensive lines when needed. And he's got two Super Bowl rings in his career already. That'll so, do. Great guy, great family. And I got several autographed pictures of him um, in my collection. That's right.
1: um, to think Years you- ago, we were all texting back and forth about something. And I, I saw that. You you explained that. I, now I remember
0: I got it, and then um I need to be set up a little better here. But you're learning.
1: Remember those ESPN commercials where they would they were you know joking around, and they, and they had an announcer it. there in a suit, and then they cut, and he's actually living in his parents' attic, and he stands up, and he's just wearing shorts and a fake tie.
0: Yeah. Yeah this is him with the, his first super bowl oh that's what i speak to
1: that's really good that's so really good
0: a, this is a small part of my uh, book collection here uh, i have about 300 hardcover and softcover books um this is only part of it and like i said i really need another bookcase to try to display everything so on and so forth and this side over here is mainly all my packer publications and books uh my media guides my yearbooks uh believe it or on the drawers of this bookcase i have all my packer programs with the exception of the uh super bowl programs that i have over here so uh next show i'm going to be set up a little differently so i can i could have more visuals um and the newspaper articles from the um, Meriden Record Journal paper when we were living in Wallingford, Connecticut, they did a feature on my collection and myself. Oh, cool! And they uh, there was another article they did on me when the Packers were in the Super Bowl, the one and only Super Bowl of Aaron Rodgers. I had a party at our our house. We invited people over. I invited the reporter over. Uh, I said, "There's going to be free food and drinks so you might as well come over because I know you're you know a starving journalist." so she had a good laugh so she came over but believe it or not right down the street about two blocks over there was a pittsburgh steelers party going on so she went back and forth and she said they were pretty depressed in the second half so they came back to our house because we were we were winning and um, they ended up staying and then uh, i gave her a plate to go along with the photographer and i said here's some extra food for you i knew she had to go write the article and the next morning i I stopped. I would always stop, get coffee and the paper before I drove to work at a <clears throat> half hour commute plus to work. So I'd always buy a large coffee and I'd buy a couple of days. I would always buy the New York Post and the local paper. And then I would read it at work, so on and so forth. So they did an article on that also. But That's this, cool. I'm laying low. I, I'm not advertising this that much. Uh, there's only certain people that know. Uh, we publish the magazine and, and have seen the collection here. So but where I, the development I actually live in, and there are several um, former college players who live here. I've been in touch with a couple of them. I'm going to try to get them on the show. Um, actually come here and we can do the interview from the the man cave up here and uh, talk about their careers, so on and so forth. So it's interesting. It's interesting. But um, on the, and I showed you numerous times the, uh, the binder wall of all the uh the run. that'll be an yep. for another show.
1: Which really scratches my O C D itch seeing it all organized and labeled like that captain. I love it.
0: So it's uh it it's I'm happy in this man cave compared to my old man cave in the other house. Um it's uh much more rooming and I got a lot more room for on my walls to hang stuff, and I can I'll show you all my uh, autograph stuff at another uh, another show. The other um, man cave I had was downstairs, but I had sliding doors in there, so that took up a lot of the wall space. So wow. I lost the whole section of the of the room because of the the sliding doors. Uh, which I didn't realize once I set up the room there, but it was, it, it was what it was type of thing. But that had built-in bookcases there, so I had more room to display. So I had everything else in that um, in that, uh, man cave as compared to this one. But in any event, uh, what's my favorite my favorite saying? Football, 365, 24-7, or 24-7, 365, football. And... Um, it's our time of, of the year, our time of the season, and uh, I'm just going to touch base because we're, we're getting close. We're, we have a different time structure in this podcast for our regular listeners, uh, but we're going to be doing it more frequently. Uh, we're not limited to certain time uh, certain time structure. We can go over, we can go under, whatever the case may be. And like I'm telling everybody, this is going to be our test podcast and uh, see how this goes and should be should be a take. But before we go, our topic today was going to be the top five football cards that we both like, appreciate. But we're going to do something different.
1: Your favorites.
0: We're going to do we're going to do something different today because of time. We're only going to talk about number five and number four. Our next show we'll do our top three. So I'm going to hand off to you for your number five and then I'll give you my number five. I don't, I didn't pull them though. I'm going to have to say them, and I will go back and I'll pull them afterwards for the next show.
1: Okay. I'm just going to share something real quick here. We all remember this.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> your Mount Rushmore of cards. And there is a, there was a Jim Brown card in there and I, uh, I uh, I you know basically went with another card that's one of my favorites. So my uh, I, I, I I kind of took them by a year. Uh, I will admit, I I took a Wheel of Fortune approach to this. You know how in Wheel of Fortune they give you uh oops let me get rid of this you uh, okay you know how in Wheel of Fortune. You know they give you the rst lne and then you have to pick your 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 favorite consonant and vowels after that yeah. so i kind of went you know right down the uh you know what's the mount rushmore of cards the 35 chico nagurski the 58 tops jim brown the 65 tops joe namath and the 57 tops unitus or star along with the 77 Tops, steve Largent that i photoshopped in there uh <laughs> So I kind of said, I'm gonna treat those as the wheel of fortune. And then I'm gonna and I'm gonna pick the cards that meant a lot to me. And uh obviously the 1977 tops number 177 Steve Largent rookie card. Uh, I brought that in at number five to me. Uh that is uh has become almost synonymous with me. It's almost become a you know a gag, you know, where I, I you know, one time I I wondered how many large rookie cards I had. Uh it was over a thousand. And I laid them out on my poker table. And uh I think I've shared this before, but I laid it out on my poker table. Hang on, let me bring this up real quick. Um and uh I don't know if I have shared this before, but uh um Excuse me, as I navigate, I didn't have that up.
0: I that I'll, I'll fill in the audience on Here we screen. go.
1: This. And this I'm was cool. me laying out part of my large rookie card collection on my poker table. And whenever people talk about OCD and collecting and uh you know this and that, that's uh that's the picture that I post up as kind of a gag. Uh so uh after that. number four this might be a surprise to you but uh a a very meaningful card to me is the 1961 fleer card number 11 jim brown uh i know it's odd but 61 fleer is one of my favorite sets it's by far my favorite fleer set uh i really love the the photos the background on there i mean a lot of franklin field in there um And it's broken into two series, with Series 1 being the NFL and Series 2 being the AFL. Uh, The Jim Brown rookie card is incredibly hard to find. A PSA 9 in it, I I don't know what the population is, but it's it's not very much. Uh, PSA 8, there's about 70 of them. But in PSA 9, incredibly hard to find. I was putting the 61 Fleer set together at 9, and I never found one. One just sold in an auction about a month ago for uh six thousand dollars, seventy two hundred with Vig. So seven thousand dollar card for his uh you know, third, you know, just an innocuous set, 61 FLIR. Um so that uh that that rounds out my five and four Largent rookie card and sixty-one Fleer number eleven, Jim Brown. Well, one
0: story about the Largent rookie card, and I am not kidding you. And I've told you the story several times. I would be set up at shows. And guys would ask me, "Do you have any 1977 football cards?" I said, "Yeah." And immediately, I never forget. There was a show I, I used to do a small local show in Plainville, Connecticut. I had three guys that day working on the '77 set, and they all said to me, "Do you have a large rookie in any condition? I can't find one anywhere." And I said, "Well, I know a guy who's got quite a few of them." Let me see, if I and they said, "No, I, I don't want to grade it. I, I want to walk, You know, I'm putting it in, you know, nine pocket sheets type of thing." Yeah, I say, I get it, I get it. So what I did from that day on, when I was at a show, and if I did see a ungraded, large and rookie, I would buy it, no matter what condition it would be, <laughs> because they were rare. Knowing that you had pretty much most of the inventory
1: <laughs>
0: back in your house there, but anyways, it um, is kind of
1: embarrassing. That, that,
0: that's great and I still have your ornament you made um, it's hanging on my
1: <laughs> I made Christmas uh, ornaments for some of us collectors last year right took some of my low grade larger rookie cards that are graded
0: I drilled a hole
1: in them and made them an ornament a Christmas tree ornament and then mailed them to some friends <laughs>
0: I, I was pretty honored to get one I, I, I thought that was pretty cool I, 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 you know that, that, that's a nice has a, is a nice niche <laughs> my number five card surprisingly enough is the 55 all-american four Horsney. i've always liked that card
1: Great the
0: last card it took me uh to find i obviously do not have it in the greatest condition uh but that card finished my 55 all-american set i like that 55 all-american set i love the color uh, yep. that was another 20-year deal putting the set together as i got older uh, I remember one of the first few 55 All-American cards I got probably in the mid-1980s. And um, at that time, I had my my one of my first Beckett guides, which at that time, it was football, basketball, hockey, boxing altogether. So you only had a limited amount of football sets, but I knew the 55 All-American was in it. Totally. I was just fascinated. And once I finally like, I found a couple uh, in... You know, real cards, and I bought them. I said, "Well, this is a cool set. I got to put this together." So that was that's number five on my uh, hit parade.
1: Number five, iconic set, by the way. Just you, oh, yeah. there's five, six other cards in that set you can name: the Thorpe, the Grange, the Hudson. I mean,
0: it's a historical set. I mean, you you have really historical players in it. You have a lot of um, of uh, great greatness there, and mean the Four Horsemen is, you know classic football vintage football history that's where i'm concerned
1: the bowman killer set 1955 tops mm-hmm. AA. It's
0: a great set great set. there's no 56
1: bowman set because of that 55 AA set
0: yep my number four uh card is a card dear to me for the 1967 philly set the barch star card um love it i wow. always the brown background i thought it was the coolest thing when they when they issued those and again distinctly for me the three years that i i can just envision buying the packs of cards 65 66 and 67 1965 to 67 the philadelphia cards for the yeah. nfl 65 tall boys for the afl 66 afl and 67 afl tops yeah just, just classic, and the one thing I got—I—I I, I vaguely remember somehow in '65 or 1966 or '67—I don't remember what year—one of the places I used to buy my packs from. Uh, he found in the back room some older packs, and he had a '64. I, I distinctly remember it was a 1964 Philadelphia pack. So he says, "I'm going to sell you this." It was a nickel. I said, "Oh," I said, "I never saw a 1964 card." um so I said I'll buy the pack and I and I distinctly remember buying and opening up that pack I don't remember however what cards I actually got out of it and then when I, back in the 70s and early 80s when I started really getting into my sets and collecting them I found those with my other Philly cards and I started putting the set together with them and it was, just classic
1: I love the yellow border on the '67 Philly. That that card is iconic. I mean, I, I do love the borders on the the '65 and '67 Phillies. My my favorite, probably the yeah. probably the '67, because it was the first Philly set that I completed. But yeah, love the colors; just so vibrant on that set.
0: I always said to myself, I I would like to go back for whatever reason and just keep putting together '64 to '67 Philly sets together. I probably have half of each set, and I do have a few stars here and then. I always said to myself, I I should just keep going and make up a bunch of those sets, and then just you know, just say that I like you with your larger cards. It'd be me with my Philadelphia sets. You know, I'm on my <laughs> 1967 Philly set. I'm putting together a type of them and hoard them. But anyways, our Next show we'll go. We'll get to the top three. But again, I wanted to introduce everybody back into the podcast get things going again and um and we'll take it from there so quick two-minute warning and for those who haven't heard us we normally have a quick two-minute wrap-up at the end of the show joe i'm going to hand off to you what you pick up on tonight's show
1: Oh, oh i'm I'm still reeling from a oregon ducks loss i missed field goal at, at, at husky stadium and then uh Followed up the next day with a Seahawk loss. So I'm still reeling a, a little bit from football, uh some some football losses, but so good to get the show back going with you, Bob. So good to see you in person and to see you in your natural habitat, leaning back in your office chair, your man cave chair, kicking back. Uh you know, just all your memorabilia behind you. I think that's your your, like I said, that's your your natural habitat.
0: It is. And it's great seeing you again and seeing all your stuff. And I love those uncut sheets. They're beautiful. Uh, I'm not reeling from anything because the Packers didn't play this week. So they didn't get They didn't have a chance to lose one way or the other. Awesome. Uh, I did see a couple painful games yesterday. One being the Panthers and the Dolphins. Because I watched uh, the Panthers are on every game down here. And uh, that was that was just a brutal game to watch. And then uh, I found a great interest in the Eagles-Jets game, uh, seeing the Jets pull that off and actually win the game. I thought that was – Wow. Okay, yeah. Game. The yeah. last two
1: undefeated teams went down. Larry Zonka and Bob Greasy. Larry Zonka posted on Twitter that he was at the game, the Dolphins game with Bob Greasy. And he posted on Twitter, he goes, another year down. Another year we can rest easy. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah.
0: That's cool. That's cool. And uh, I did catch the the highlights of the Browns uh, San Francisco game. And uh, that that was amazing how he shanked it at the end. Uh, he could have won the game. And that's it on any given Sunday. You never
1: know. Any given is. Sunday, indeed. Yep.
0: You never yep. know. What All right. So that's a wrap. And thanks for watching. And we'll be back next week. Joe, take it easy. I'll see you next week.
1: You too, Cap. Thank you.
0: Okay.